0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show uh, Right off the bat, let me say that I want to kick myself I misplaced a letter from a listener in the States, I think it was Iowa, but I'm pretty sure the name was Claire Schultz. In any case, Claire wrote to me, sending me some information about the old-time radio show called The Six Shooter. Said I should consider adding to my uh, our fair here on Theater of the Mind. So I checked it out, and boy, I'm glad I did. Though The Six Shooter aired only one season... It remains one of radio's best remembered westerns due primarily to the likable nature of the main character, Britt Ponsett, and the considerable talents of James Stewart, the actor who portrayed the Texas Plainsman. I'm really excited to tell you I'll be starting to air those episodes this coming Friday night. I'm so happy to have a chance to have you listen to that recognizable drawl of Jimmy Stewart. Well, well yeah, of course, uh, oh, I'll love to do that, you know. But. <laughs> That begins this Friday. Any announcer always loves to try and do Jimmy Stewart. Anyway, for tonight's fair, we hear the scary program, Suspense. In the earliest years, the program was hosted by The Man in Black, played by Joseph Kearns or Ted Osborne, with many episodes written or adapted by the prominent mystery author John Dixon Carr. William Spear, Norman MacDonald, and Anton M. Leader were among the producers and directors. Suspense received a special citation of Honor uh, the Peabody Award for 1946. The episode we're about to hear first aired in 49. The writing on this show was taught and the casting always had been a strong point with the series uh, and using stars like Orson Welles, Joseph Cotton and Henry Fonda to mention a few. The highest production values enhanced suspense and many of the shows retain their power to grip And entertain. So let's hear what folks were hearing in 1949 when they tuned into Suspense to hear this episode called Noose of Coincidence.
2: Now, Auto Light and its 60,000 dealers and service stations present Suspense.
3: Autolite brings you Ronald Coleman in Noose of Coincidence, a suspense play produced and directed by Anton M. Leder. And now, Autolite presents Ronald Coleman in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Suspense.
4: London. Do you remember Swan's Bookshop 12 Edgemont Row? Now that's it. It's hard to believe that such a quiet, unassuming shop was the scene of unusual, even fantastic happenings. The only thing out of the ordinary about my bookshop, although I feel it's most appropriate, is the sign, or rather symbol, hanging above the door. An arm made of cast iron, holding a lot of flaming torch. I must confess that the sharp angle inside the elbow attracted some distinctly unbookish creatures, birds, who found the crook of the arm a splendid place for nest building. I rather liked the birds beneath my bedroom windows, but some of my customers complained quite bitterly about their nesting over the door. So each spring, it became my wicked task to clear away the little home that was a building. And then to try in vain to make peace with the birds and my angry conscience.
2: Well, Mr. Swan, is it spring again?
4: Ah, good morning, Constable.
2: Have a care up
5: there on that ladder, sir. Steady.
4: <laughs> oh, it's not the ladder that's making my knees shaky. It's this monstrous crime I commit every year.
5: But if you didn't, Mr. Swan, how would the rest of us know it was spring, eh? Yes.
4: <laughs> a distinguished career, Christopher Swan, calendar to the neighborhood.
5: And ah, very honest, sir, be all of us.
4: Thank you, Constable.
5: Uh, uh, Begging your pardon, Mr. Swan, but uh, you have a customer in your shop? I do not. Yes, Hmm? I saw him go in while I was halfway down the street. He walked right under the ladder, he did, with never a care.
4: Brave man indeed. Thank you. Good morning. I'm sorry I didn't see you enter.
5: I didn't hear the bell. Uh, May I help you? I don't need help. Your name is Christopher Swan. Yes. Good morning. My name is Christopher Swan. I... Well, oh, forgive me, I, I didn't quite hear... Yeah, but the... you did. Christopher Swan, sir. Your name, my name. Well, how odd. Why, people must have names. More people than names, therefore duplication. Bound to happen. <laughs> my card. Oh, thank you.
4: Yeah, sure enough. Christopher Swan. Mental
5: telepathist. Telepathist and prophet of the future. Oh... Well, nevertheless, it is very odd. Perhaps it is. In that case, you must save my card and show it to Margaret. Margaret? Your wife, sir.
4: Oh, oh, no, I'm afraid you're mistaken. I have no wife, and I've never been married. Do you suppose I'm not aware of that? You are? Well, then, I I don't see how you can... Mr.
5: Swan, mental telepathist and prophet of the future. The future? Yes. Margaret. Young woman. Pretty, too. Red hair. Oh, now, really...
4: I've read a good bit about extrasensory perception, Mr. Swan, but when you speak of foretelling the future...
3: You don't believe
5: a word of it. Well, I don't blame you. No one believes at first. And later? (laughs) Mr. Swan, suppose we drop the subject. I've come here simply to buy some books. Perhaps we may have a little talk in a short time after your marriage.
4: If a thing like that happened to you, you'd probably laugh at it as I did. But then if, only five days later, you met a red-haired girl named Margaret, and she was pretty, and the fresh perfume of spring began to engage in mortal combat with the bachelor in you, then you might begin to believe that all nature conspired to fulfill the prophecy of Christopher Swan.
6: Of course I want to marry you, but we know so little about each other. Well, I think
4: that's excellent, Margaret. It'll be an adventure, finding out.
6: Oh, you'll be disappointed in me. There's nothing to find out.
4: I don't intend to try. I expect to be content with you as you are. Well, Margaret?
6: Oh, I... I wish you hadn't told me about all that money you inherited. I'd... I'd like you to believe that I'm marrying you for yourself. Chris, will you be happy with me? Will you be content?
4: Happy with Margaret? Content with Margaret? Less than three months later, anyone within earshot could have told the answer to that. Great. Yes, Margaret, I'm coming.
6: Christopher, this back room is a sight.
4: Yes, Margaret. If
6: only you'd do some tidying about here instead of going on as you do. Talk, talk, talk with the customers day in, day out. And what do you talk about? Books. Nothing but musty old books.
4: But that's my business, my dear.
6: Well, more's the pity. Why, any man with 50,000 good English pounds in Barclays Bank insists upon running an out-of-the-way little bookshop instead of going out into the world and making something of himself.
4: Margaret, please, there are people in the shop. People? Loafers Now see here, Margaret Don't
6: you dare lose that nasty temper with me I know you're sorry you married me But you made a bargain You might as just as well be resigned Till death do us part, the minister said Till death do us part
4: One day I went up to Hampstead Heath for the fair Oh, not so much to see the fair As to get away from Margaret I watched the children on the carousels, and the pearlies from Lambeth Road, and the girls in white smocks selling jellied apples. And then, suddenly, there he was, again.
5: Well, sink me, it's my friend, the doubter. How do you do, Mr. Swan? Quite well, thank you. Uh, My question, Mr. Swan, was purely rhetorical. I'm thoroughly aware that you are not doing well at all. Wrong again, Mr. Swan. How can you say again? You did marry a red-haired woman named Margaret, didn't you? Do you really believe in your powers. Candidly, I don't. The only thing thus far proven is that there are remarkable coincidences. My dear Mr. Swan, how the thing happened is quite unimportant. All we must remember is my prediction that it would happen. I didn't say how. Would you have done that too? With a little more concentration, why not? For instance, let me tell you about your wife. Your wife, Mr. Swan... He's a shrew and will become more of a shrew each day. Now, please, I don't you think I care to hear about No, don't that. go, Mr. Swan. Please, not while I'm concentrating. Now, let me see. Christopher Swan, born one day... I can't quite make that out. In March 1908, workplace, the manor house, lower orchard, Bellingham near Chasm Box. 1940, removed to London, the choir bookshop. Father and mother killed in Blitz. It's a pity, Mr. Swan. You, however, inherit 50,000 pounds, right? Yes, and pounds, right? Would it be impertinent to point out that you
4: had access to this information in several publications?
5: <laughs> Not one bit impertinent, Mr. Swan. But tell me, in which publication could I have learned that on the 9th of November this year, you will be hanged by the neck until dead? I, I beg your pardon? <laughs> and don't look so taken aback, my friend. The gift of prophecy, nothing more. Ability to foresee the future. You, you, you charlatan. Do you seriously expect me to believe... That you'll be hanged. Of course I don't expect you to believe it, Mr. Swan. Any more than you believe my first prophecy about your marriage. But you will be hanged, Mr. Swan. Pity, really a pity. On the morning of November 9th, hang by the neck. Until you are dead. <laughs>
3: Suspense. Autolite is bringing you Ronald Coleman in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, Autolite brings to our Hollywood soundstage, Ronald Coleman as Christopher Swan in Noose of Coincidence. A tale well calculated
5: to keep you in Suspense. Good morning, Mr. Swan. And a good morning to you, Constable. Well, I hope it's better than the night I had. Oh, fair horrible that's what it was. Oh, Mr. Swan, do you have any books that talk about
4: spirits? Oh, yes, sir. Some very fine ones. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, Then there's the American psychologist William James. (laughs) It's an odd coincidence. That's the man I'm reading now. There you are. William James. The will to
5: believe. Oh, it ain't the believing that bothers me. It's the will to leave it in the bottle. The, the bottle? Spirits, Mr. Swan. Ooh,
4: last night. Oh. <laughs> oh, I beg your pardon, Constable. You know, my mind is so set upon a certain. Well, let's see now. Ah, spirits. Spiritual Here we are. Spiritus frumenti.
6: Christopher!
4: Oh, heavens
6: you ever clean a filthy bag room.
4: And I'll be there in half a moment, Margaret. Not in half
6: a moment. Now. Oh,
4: she does have a voice that carries, don't she, Mr. Swan? I suppose you just browse along that shelf, Constable, and help yourself to whatever you like.
6: Look at this place. Look at it. Nothing but old books. Dickens the Hugo. Filthy nonsense. Filthy nonsense. Now,
4: these are rare editions, Margaret. Please don't handle them like that.
6: I'll handle them as they deserve. I'll tear them, I'll burn them, I'll fling them about. Oh, no,
4: Margaret. Margaret! How dare you? It happens that I love this shop and the things in it.
6: You'd like to die here. What? You said so in your sleep last night. I wish I were dead. That's what I heard you say. I don't know what's come over you, Christopher. Moody all the time. Sulking, sulking, sulking. Pity you feel so sorry for yourself.
4: Margaret, please, Constable Smithers can hear every word.
6: Let him. Let everybody hear. I've nothing to hide. I never dream about suicide. I made a mistake when I married you, but I'm trying to make the best of it. Pity you can't do the same. Pity you feel there's only one way out.
4: Yes, a pity. 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 The quiet was gone. The gentle, thoughtful quiet. A bookshop should be a peaceful place. I didn't remember dreaming about suicide, but I suppose I had such dreams. A man wants peace, even if it's only the peace of the grave. Oh, good morning.
6: Good morning. I wonder if you have St. Moore by D.H. Lawrence. I believe published by Heinemann.
4: Yes, Heinemann does publish, Lawrence. But I'm afraid we don't have... Uh, If you'll just step over here quite a demand for Lawrence lately, and with books in short supply. I know. Uh, let me see. Sent more, sent more, sent... Uh, one copy of Sons and Lovers, one Gypsy. Uh, you no, know, no, I'm afraid we're out. May I order it for you?
6: No, I really prefer to look for it. It's a good excuse to go tramping about, prowling through bookshops.
4: Do you like bookshops? Oh, yes. Well, I'm glad. Why? Oh, nothing. I'm simply glad. I, uh, I'm sorry not to have had your book.
6: I'll find it. Thank you so much.
4: Uh, you, you might try the, the Ken bookshop near Victoria Station.
6: Thank you, I will.
4: Oh, another idea. Uh, suppose you leave your name and telephone number, and then I'd be able to ring you up if you should happen to come in.
6: Oh, would you be good enough to do that? My name is Anne Stevens.
4: Mrs. Anne Stevens?
6: no. Miss Anne Stevens. Bayswater 3210.
7: Christopher. <laughs>
4: Miss Anne Stevens had red hair too. But not simply orange-red like Margaret's. Her hair was like burnished copper, all warm and bright down to her shoulders. And when she walked in the sunlight, it seemed to be splashed with gold. And I thought to myself, it's probably fragrant and soft to Dutch. It was only a few days later I met her again in crowded Hyde Park.
7: <laughs> oh,
4: I'm, I'm sorry, I... Why, Miss Stevens, I am soft.
6: Or, no, I'm not,
4: really. I mean, I... Hello. Did I hurt you?
6: Of course not. It's Mr. Swan, isn't it? Yes. You
4: have a remarkable memory for faces.
6: No more than you. You remembered me.
4: Oh, but that's different. I've thought about you.
6: Did you? How nice.
4: Um, trying to find a copy of St. you know. You remember that that's what you wanted.
6: Oh, I'm so sorry. I did find a copy that same day at the Ken bookshop, thanks to your advice. Oh. It's a lovely work. I haven't read it. Really? Oh, Mr. Swan, let me give it to you. That is so you could read it. I'll bring it to your shop.
4: Uh, suppose you bring it to me here. Right here, to this very spot.
6: Good. Tomorrow, same time. Tomorrow,
4: same time. And I'll bring something I want you to read. There were many tomorrows, but never enough of them we talked and walked and spent wonderful hours together and so many of them were utterly silent because it wasn't necessary to talk because when you know someone deeply in your heart and a red-haired woman so that charlatan with my name could look into the future but there were two red-haired women and i'd met the wrong one first he came to the shop again late in the autumn
5: Well, good morning, Mr. Swan. Still alive, I see. Still alive? Yes, naturally. Until November 9th. That was my prediction, Mr. Swan. Pity, pity. What is it you want of me, please? Why do you try to
4: impress me? I don't believe a word you say. You must know that. The
5: prophet who gazes into the future, Mr. Swan, knows many things. Bitter things. And he knows more than anything else. How we struggle against that which is ordained and which we cannot change. Ah, rot. (laughs) If you say so.
7: Have
5: you a bit of paper, please? Just a bit of paper, whatever's above. You
4: mean to write on Uh, to wrap
5: something? uh, To write a curious phrase. that has been running through my mind. Oh, there, that tablet that will do. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Swart. Here. Now, here. I'm writing down a bit from a book. You're a bookman. Perhaps... You can tell me what book it's from. Uh, it wasn't like a man at all to her. Uh, There we are. Just read it aloud, please.
4: She could not believe it what was actually happening. When she was dancing in the afternoon at carriages or in the evening at the Carlton... Sliding about with some swarthy man who wasn't like a man at all to her.
5: Well, Mister Swan?
4: I recognize it. What about it? Huh. It's from a novel by D. H. Lawrence, a novel called Saint Maure. It appears somewhere in the in the first third of the book.
5: Yes, how curious! I seem to see it written on the flyleaf for the book. Hey, hey, said Wait! Now I seem to see something beneath it. Oh, this is absurd. In the same feminine hand, a delightful hand, the words. You see, I love you, Anne. Is that correct, Mr. Swan? Get out of here. <laughs> that book seems to be under the papers in the left-hand bottom drawer of your desk, Mr. Swan, how can you be so indiscreet? Oh, get out. <laughs> uh, suppose Margaret should find it. Trouble, Mr. Swan, trouble.
4: What did this mean? How could he know? What Anne had written in that book. Was she in league with him? She couldn't be. Not Anne. And yet, I had fallen in love with her. A red-haired woman, as he had prophesied. The answer came soon enough.
6: Con- Christopher, Constable Smithers is in the shop.
4: Oh, is he browsing, buying, or chatting?
6: He wants a copy of a book called St. Moore.
4: Constable Smithers wishes to read St. Maur
6: By D.H. Lawrence.
4: To begin with, I don't believe he ever ever heard of it. Second, we haven't had a copy for ages.
6: You should take more pains with your inventory, Christopher. There's a copy right there in the bottom left-hand drawer of your desk. Oh, no, there's not. I say there is. And we'll have to sell it second-hand. Some lovesick girl's written something on the flyleaf.
4: You know Constable Smithers doesn't want that book, Margaret.
6: Of course he doesn't.
4: I didn't think so. And there's no copy of St. Maure in the desk.
6: There, we differ. Well,
4: look for yourself.
6: Thank you. I will. (laughs) And what do you call this?
4: Oh, but it's it's impossible.
6: Impossible, is it? And didn't I find it here myself this morning? And didn't I read the inscription?
4: You put it there yourself.
6: Oh, now I know you've gone mad. I only suspected it before.
4: Yesterday, the book was in that drawer. When Swan predicted that you'd find it there but I took it out and hid it upstairs in my bedroom. You returned it to the drawer to make his prediction come true. I didn't sleep well that night. It was the night of November the 8th. Many things had become clear. Margaret knew this fellow Swan, had known him before I met her. Between them, they had arranged his prophecies, the marriage and the business of the book. This duplicity, this plot against me, was relieved only by one thing. Anne was not in league with Swan, and she did love me. I remember thinking, as I drifted into sleep, that if I could survive the next 24 hours, I would be safe and could free myself for Anne. When I awoke, I found my hands tied to a bedpost with a silk scarf. And Margaret standing at the window that's above the entrance to the shop. Mr. Swan stood on a chair at the clothes cupboard. He was twisting a large hook into the top of the door frame.
5: Good morning, my boy. the 9th of November.
4: Oh, your prophecy. Uh,
5: Christopher Swan hanged by the neck until dead. For well, you might show some fright, at least some surprise.
4: I'm too filled with loathing for you both. So
5: you're going to... to murder me? <laughs> what a frightful idea. No, 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 you're going to commit suicide. Pity.
6: Don't talk to him, Kit. Get it done oh, with
5: Oh, yes, Maggie, surely. Maggie is my sister, Mr. Swan. I knew there was some relationship between
4: you. You have the same tricks of expression. You use the word pity so often. There's not much pity in either of you, is there?
5: There's a little, Mr. Swan. But it's not stronger than 50,000 pounds. <laughs> There we are. Do you think that hook will hold, Mr. Swan? Oh,
4: come to the point. You don't uh, really intend to murder me. Uh, What is it you want?
5: (laughs) Maggie, he thinks we're only pretending. Hurry,
6: will you? It's almost
5: time. Oh, poor Maggie. I hope her share of your fortune will console her. Will it console you, Maggie? Oh, shut up. Maggie's having a touch of nerves. Isn't that silly, Mr. Swan? There's no danger to us in this. So many of your customers have heard you threaten to commit suicide.
4: I doubt if one ever did. Oh, they
5: think they did, Mr. Swan. That's all that matters. Do you realize how many times Maggie has shouted that information from the back of the shop? Constable Smithers heard it. Nevertheless, he knows me better than to believe Oh, does he? (laughs) Shall I tell you what Constable Smithers will say to the coroner? (laughs) He'll say, Yaldi would do himself in some day. Yaldi'd all the time from the day they was married. And there he swung, sir, with his face all black, his eyes bugged out.
7: Stop it!
5: You're too
6: fond of talking. You'll get us into trouble.
5: Perhaps, sir. Margaret, you. You
4: actually married me with this day in mind?
6: Of course I did.
4: And you're
5: really going to. To kill me?
6: That's the plan.
5: Well, I'm sorry there isn't enough of a drop to do the thing quickly, old man. You'll be struggling for quite a bit. Yes, I know you'll both enjoy watching me. No, not Maggie, no. Maggie's watching for the constable to turn the corner on his rounds. Then she's going to scuttle down the stairs while I do the job, lock the door from the inside, slip through the trap door in the cupboard, and away like St. Nicholas over the rooftops. <laughs> then she'll say to him, Constable, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There he is, kid, <laughs>
6: at the corner. Oh, he stopped to talk.
5: Yeah. Well, are you ready, Mr. Swan? Because here you go. Oh, don't come at me with that noose. Yeah. I can still kick. I can shout. Oh, the walls are thick, my friend. That's why you bought this house. They were built to endure. I told <laughs>
6: you to chloroform him. Ah, oh, don't be stupid.
5: Chloroform these traces. You
6: wanted him conscious. So he could know how clever you are. Always acting. You and your silly November 9th.
5: No, will you stop yammering. The constable must be halfway down the street.
6: He's still at the corner. Ah. Better
5: wait. Better, better wait till he
4: comes this way, Margaret. They'll say you had time to do it if he finds me cold.
5: Oh, thank you, Christopher. That's excellent advice. He's not really
4: pleased, Margaret. Uh. Look at him. He wants you to be caught.
5: <laughs> Christopher, I'm disappointed.
4: What childish tactics. Is it, uh-huh. one? Is it? Look at him, Margaret. That struck
5: home. It struck home. Well, I think I'll have to close your mouth, my friend. Not
4: while I can kick
5: Maggie, throw yourself across his legs. Don't give in, Margaret. Remember, you face the
2: constable. He gets away over the roof. Maggie, stop. are you in a trance? Throw yourself across his legs.
7: No. Maggie, I can't get at you. I don't care. I don't like
2: no. it. It's too late to think about that. Where's
5: the constable? If you won't help me he'll get back to that window. No, he's right. Bravo, Margaret.
6: I'm the one who has to go down to Smithers and establish an alibi. Yes. I'm the one who has to answer all their questions. That's right. Yes. And where will you be? Where will you be safe? Who knows about you? Yes,
4: and when they hang you for murdering me, he'll inherit the loot. He'll get it all. Don't close your trap. No.
6: <laughs> I haven't any protection. You hold all the cards. Of course he does. Maggie, you're going to ruin everything. Don't you trust your own flesh and blood? No. Get back to your clothes. Back
7: to the window. I'll kill you both. Enjoy. That's it. David. Hide him. Push Hide me. him. Don't push me. Push I can him. push through. Ah. I can push. Oh. Oh, Kit. Kit. Oh.
5: Here goes on, sir, you being bound to the bed like this, and him breaking through the window and then hanging from the sign.
4: You'll have to answer some questions, Mrs. Swan. Hanging from the sign?
7: I killed him. I killed him. Yes, and I saw it
2: happen. Saw him smash through the window and come tumbling down and catch his Adam's apple right in the very crook of the elbow, where the sparrows build a nest every spring. Right in the very crook. And there he swung Caught fast, Mr. Swan That uh, was horrible, sir His face black and his eyes bugged out
7: Stop it, oh stop it. Another
4: prophecy come true What's that, Mr. Swan? I think he could foretell the future I believe he could November the 9th Christopher Swan Hanged by the neck Until dead Only He had the wrong Christopher Swan.
2: Thank you, Ronald
3: Coleman, for a splendid
2: performance. Oh, Mr. Coleman, would you listen to a sound effect with us for a moment? Why, certainly, Mr. Wilcox. Okay, boys. Coleman, would you say that sounds like Jack Benny's Maxwell? Yes, I'd say there's a great similarity. Well, just listen to what Jack Benny's old Maxwell might sound like if it had new Autolite resistor spark plugs in the complete Autolite ignition system.
4: <laughs> Mr.
2: Wilcox, if I
4: had a set of those Autolite spark plugs around the house,
2: sooner or later Benny would borrow them. And then perhaps we'd be spared that awful racket. (laughs) Well, we'll see what we can do, Mr. Coleman. Friends, Autolite resistor spark plugs are made by Autolite men who make over 400 products for cars, trucks, airplanes, and boats in 28 Autolite plants from coast to coast. Yes, sir, and Autolite also makes complete electrical systems for many makes of America's finest cars. Batteries, spark plugs, generators, starting motors, coils, distributors. All ignition engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly, because they're a perfect team. So folks don't accept electrical parts that are supposed to be as good. Ask for and insist on Autolite original factory parts at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. Remember, you're always right with (laughs) Autolite.
3: here again is Mr. Ronald Coleman.
4: It's always an interesting and pleasant experience to appear on Suspense and especially when I can work with such a fine company of actors. Next week we're all in for a special treat when radio's outstanding theater of thrills presents Edmund Gwen in a story called Murder in Black and
2: White. Another gripping study in Suspense. Tonight's play was written by William Fifield and adapted for Suspense by Herb Meadow. Music was composed by Lucian Morawek and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. In the coming weeks, Suspense will present such stars as Betty Grable, Mickey Rooney, Bob Hope, and many others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Next Thursday, same time, hear Edmund Gwen in Murder in Black and
1: White. Stay tuned for Dennis Day, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for another episode of A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. In 1939, Gene McNulty, as Day was then known, sang on network radio with band leader Larry Clinton. The Clinton broadcasts were aimed at the collegiate audience and were often broadcast from a college campus, and 23-year-old McNulty won an audience poll as a favorite vocalist. He appeared for the first time on Jack Benny's radio show October 8th of 1939. He remained associated with Benny's radio and television programs until Benny's death in 1974. He was introduced as a young 19-year-old naive boy singer, (laughs) a character he kept through his whole career. Tonight we go back to 1948 for the program Advice Column.
8: gentlemen, Dennis Day.
9: Oh, that makes life seem worthwhile, in your eyes,
1: and the
7: spell
8: of your smile. Dennis Day is brought to you by Palmolive Soap and Colgate Dental Cream. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. Dennis Day Show with Barbara Eiler, B. Benadera, Dink Trout, George Dooning in the orchestra, and yours truly, Vern Smith, is written by Frank Galen and stars our popular young singer in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Here's Dennis to sing You Were Only Fooling. You In this great land of ours, there are three glorious American traditions shared by nearly every family, which have truly transformed America into the land of hope. They are freedom of speech, the right to vote, and the rich relative. Now, to our friend Mrs. Anderson, the last of these has always seemed the most important, since in the Anderson household, the right to vote is exercised but once a year, and freedom of speech is limited strictly to Mrs. Anderson. So we can understand her excitement this morning As she bursts in on her spouse Clutching a letter in her hand
10: Herbert! Herbert! What's a passion flower? (laughs) Look, this letter Remember my dear,
6: rich, sweet, darling Loaded Aunt Prunella with the two million dollars
10: Guess what? She passed away? No, she's feeling fine Oh, my deepest sympathy.
7: <laughs>
10: Herbert, is that anything
6: to say? You know I'm glad Aunt Poonel as well. I hope she lives to be 90.
10: How old is she now, 89? <laughs> no. Now
6: listen, she writes she's going to be out this way. I haven't seen her in 25 years and she's
10: never met you. You're going to wire her to come and live with us for as long as she likes. Live with us? But, Popsy, you don't even like the woman. I've heard you say yourself that she's an old drip. Yes, but let's not forget what she's dripping with.
7: <laughs>
6: and this is our big chance to get into that will, but good.
10: But, Poopsie, there isn't even any place for her to sleep, unless you move Dennis out of his room and give her that. Are you crazy?
6: I wouldn't give Dennis's room to a dog. <laughs> She's going to sleep in your room, and you're going to sleep in Dennis's room.
8: (laughs) Our young hero, of course, is at this point blissfully unaware of his impending dispossession. We find him in his room looking at a newspaper as Mildred enters.
11: Oh, hi, Mildred. Hi, Dennis. Going through the Help Wanted ads again?
8: Oh, no. This is just a copy of my old high school paper.
12: I saved it because my picture was on the front page.
11: Oh, really? Let's see. Gosh, you look very handsome.
12: Oh, sure. Cameras don't lie.
11: (laughs) But all it says under the picture is, this is Dennis Day of the freshman class. Uh
7: Uh-huh.
11: Well, gee, the fact that you were in the freshman class doesn't sound like front-page news.
12: It is when you've been in it for five years.
7: (laughs)
11: Oh, And is your picture in all these other papers, too?
12: Oh, no. I saved them because my sports articles are in them. I used to be a sports reporter for the paper. Honestly? Sure. I was really good, too. Listen to this. At two this afternoon, Hooperstown High and Jackson High clashed in the most vicious contest these old eyes have ever seen. It was man against man, heart versus heart, in a grim, bitter struggle which saw each player push himself beyond the limits of human endurance, regardless of consequences. I wrote that.
11: Why, Dennis, that's wonderful.
12: Well, it was a pretty exciting checker game.
7: (laughs) Oh. Well,
11: my goodness, Dennis, if you can write like that, why don't you try and get a job on the Weaverville Bugle?
12: You mean with a real newspaper?
11: Well, why not? Someday you might even have a column of your own. Give me one good reason why you couldn't be a Fulton Lewis Jr.
12: Because his mother saw Fulton Lewis Sr. first. (laughs) Oh, silly, Mildred. Do you think a newspaper would really hire me?
11: All you need is confidence in yourself. Go into that editor's office and tell him you're the greatest newspaper man in the world. The star reporter of all time.
12: my golly, maybe you're right. I've seen enough newspaper men in the movies. I'll like act just like one. I'll take a couple of sips of cleaning fluid, stagger in, and hiccup right in his face. <laughs> say you'd like a job with my paper, young man. That's right, pal. Scoop Day is the name. Greatest reporter who ever lived. If it's stories you want, I'll dig them up for you. I see. So you're a leg man, eh? Uh, pardon? I said, so you're a leg man. Oh, no, sir. Even if I was, it wouldn't do me much good with the new look.
7: <laughs> uh,
12: You
13: did say that, didn't you? Say what? Let it go. I couldn't possibly have heard
12: right.
7: (laughs)
13: Well, uh, tell me about your experience, Mr. Day. Have
12: you ever been on a daily sheet? Oh, no. We change ours only once a week. (laughs) You know something, Mr. Day?
13: You're beginning to fascinate me. Really? Yes. Now, a good reporter should be well up on the world situation today. What have you to say on the subject of, say, uh, Russia?
14: Russia?
13: Yes. Tell me about Russia. It gets very
12: cold there.
7: Just
13: the stuff our readers want.
7: Uh, Anything
12: else on Russia? Well, just that it's good there is a Russia because there are so many Russians that if there weren't a Russia, where would they all go? They don't call you scoops for nothing, do they?
7: Now, uh,
13: what do you know about Japan? Well, Japan is different from Russia.
12: It though. Uh, yes, yeah, much warmer and has fewer Russians. How few people have ever noticed that?
7: You're
13: a sharp one, Scoop.
12: Oh, I just keep my eyes and ears open. Yes, but I
13: still get the feeling there must be a leak somewhere. Oh, forget it. This is fun. I was going to ask you a question about the Berlin situation, but I know just what you'd say. That he's written better songs than anyone else in the business. Well,
12: he has, hasn't he?
13: He has indeed. Now, suppose we turn
12: to politics for a while, huh? Well, I really don't know much about politics as I do about the foreign stuff. Oh, come now. No modesty,
13: Scoot.
7: No,
12: really. Why don't you try me on sports?
13: Oh, please, Mr. Day. I'm conducting this interview, and I feel you'd be much funnier on politics.
7: <laughs> now, uh,
13: tell me. What do you think President Truman's chances are of being re-elected this November?
12: Oh, uh, go on. You know very well he's been re-elected already. Why, Scoops, you shocked me. You knew that, huh? Certainly. And I know who lost, too. Do we?
7: <laughs> this is very
12: disappointing. And I know why it's just as well he did lose. Huh? Huh? Maybe this is something.
7: <laughs> uh, why?
12: Because now he can go back and finish capturing Manila.
7: <laughs> I knew it. I
12: knew it. You've
7: rallied. <laughs> when do
13: I start work, huh? When? Hey, Mr. Day, I'm afraid I have a shock for you. You've given me the most enjoyable afternoon of my life, but I just can't see my way clear to putting you on the staff.
12: Oh, my gosh.
13: I'm sorry. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Day. It's been awfully frightening to have met you. <laughs>
7: oh, wait,
12: please. There must be something I can
13: do on the paper. Some assignment I can... Oh, excuse me just a second. I'll be right back. Yes,
15: sir? You the editor here? I got a complaint. My name is Homer Applegate, and I sent in a letter to the Lorn column two weeks ago, and I ain't had no answer.
13: Oh, yes. Uh, well, you see, our advice to the love Loan editor left us a few weeks ago to go to Reno for a divorce. And, uh, we haven't been able to replace her yet.
15: But I got a problem. I wrote in saying my initials are H.A., and I want to know what to do about my wife. How much longer do I have to go on living like a dog? Oh, now, I'm
13: sure you're exaggerating, Mr. Applegate.
15: Oh, I am, Humble. Well, take a look at this sandwich she made for my lunch.
13: My goodness, a spoonful of strong heart between two puppy biscuits.
15: Yeah, I-, I want an answer to that letter, you understand? Well,
13: we'll do our best, Mr. Applegate, but you see, we haven't been able to find anyone with the weird type of mind necessary to... Wait a minute. <laughs> it's warmer and has fewer Russians. <laughs> and Mr. Applegate, your answer will be in the paper tomorrow.
15: You mean I won't have to live this kind of a life no more? It's a
13: promise, and here's my paw on it.
15: <laughs> and
13: now excuse me, please. Oh, okay, pal. Oh, you're still here? Yes, sir. Good. And my boy, I've interviewed you on foreign affairs and politics. Now I want to speak to
12: you of love. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm already engaged. <laughs> Oh, no, but I
13: think I have a job for you. How would you like to be head of your own department on my editorial staff?
12: Boy, oh, boy, with my own office? You bet.
13: And on the door, it'll say in guilt letters, private,
12: Miss Abigail Allen. Do you think I'm built right for a sign like that? <laughs> of course.
13: You're going to be our advice to the Lovelorn editor.
12: Oh, my gosh. Stay right here. I'll be back in a minute with a copy of What Every Young Boy Should Know.
8: We'll continue this day in the life of Dennis Day in a moment or two. Meanwhile, here's Dennis to sing his RCA Victor recording of I'd Love to Live in Loveland.
9: I'd love to live in Loveland With a girl like you And a...
8: Our young hero is now Miss Abigail Allen, in charge of the Lovelorn column on Weaverville's Leading Daily. But let's leave him for a moment and return to the Anderson house, from which a Western Union boy is now running madly away after delivering a telegram to Mrs. Anderson.
7: You hear, Herbert?
14: Aunt Cunella coming to see us. You hear, Herbert? Yippee! Woohoo!
10: Okay, please calm yourself. Don't get so head up. Who's head up? After all, kissing the Western Union boy that way. (laughs) I can't help it. She's my favorite aunt and just loaded with my
6: favorite stuff. (laughs) Uh, The wire didn't say when she'd arrive, though, did it? No, just soon. That could. Come on, we've got to get busy moving you into Dennis's room and
10: Dennis into the cellar.
6: All right, cockle shell. Incidentally, Hmm?
10: where's he been keeping himself? I've seen very little of him lately. Oh, I don't know. He has some mysterious job he won't tell anyone about. Just hints that he's making money by using his head.
6: Really? Wonder if he made a deal for it with some medical school.
11: (laughs) Gee, it was nice of you to ask me over to your office, Dennis. I think it's just beautiful.
12: Oh, thanks, Mildred.
11: Oh, I'm so proud of you. How do you like being Abigail Allen?
12: Well, it's kind of confusing sometimes. I never know which room to use when I want to wash my hands.
7: <laughs> oh, silly.
12: But I may not have that problem much longer. The boss said he didn't like my first column yesterday and it would have to improve. That's really why I asked her to come over here.
11: Oh? Well, maybe I can help. Uh, read me what you wrote yesterday that the boss didn't like.
12: okay. Here's the first letter I got. Dear Miss Abigail, a few years ago I met a man who told me he was all alone in the world and I said so was I, so we got married. Then when he moved in, he presented me with seven kids by a previous marriage. It's not that I mind him lying, but we have very little room on account of the six kids I had. Now my problem is, his seven kids and my six kids are always beating up our four kids. What'll I do? Signed lonely. Oh
11: my goodness. Oh, What did you tell her?
12: Oh, I'll read it to you. Dear Lonely, I suggest you have five more children immediately. According to my adding machine, you now have 17 kids. Five more will give you 22, or enough for two football teams. which will keep the kids occupied. This will leave you and your husband free to raise another team to play the winner.
7: That's what you
11: wrote?
12: Seems like pretty solid advice, doesn't it?
11: Read another one.
12: Okay, listen... Dear Miss Abigail, my initials are H.A., and my wife is leading me a dog's life. For 24 years, she has browbeat me something terrible. I want to be a man and have some respect around the house. Please advise me, signed Bewildered.
11: Oh, I hope... Dennis, wait a minute. What were those initials again? H.A. And he said he's been married 24 years? Yeah. Dennis, you don't think that... I mean, could that letter possibly be from Daddy? Your father? Oh, his initials are H.A., and he's been married 24 years.
12: Yeah, but this letter says his wife browbeats him, and his... Well, he says he wants to be a man, and your father's a... (laughs) Gee, now I know how they can hang a man on circumstantial evidence.
7: Dennis, it's got
11: to be, Daddy. How did you answer it?
12: Oh, I'll read it. Uh, Dear Bewildered, your wife's love has obviously cooled, and you must rekindle the flame by making her jealous. Hire some other woman to come into your home, on a strictly business basis, of course. And when your wife sees a strange woman sitting across the breakfast table from her every morning, she might get the idea that you have an I- outside interest.
11: Oh. Well, thank heaven you advise something so ridiculous, he'll never do anything like that.
12: You don't think so? I'm worried.
11: Well, don't be. He knows if he ever did such a thing, it wouldn't only make Mother jealous, she'd break up their home.
12: Yeah, all over him. <laughs>
11: Funny. Nobody home. I wonder where the folks went, Dennis.
12: Gee, I don't know. notice how clean the place looks, though? You you don't suppose your father's expecting company, do you?
11: I told you not to worry about that silly advice you gave. Come on, let's go out in the kitchen and fix some hot chocolate.
12: Okay, I'll have some right crisp of mine.
11: Oh, you answer it, Dennis. I'll be in the kitchen.
14: Okay.
12: Uh yes?
11: Oh, hello. I'm
14: Brunella Wilkins. Of course, you couldn't possibly be Herbert Anderson at your age.
12: Oh, no, ma'am. I won't even be him at his age. (laughs) I'm Dennis Day. I live here.
14: Oh, well, I'm sure we'll get along fine when I move in.
12: When you... You're moving in?
14: Why, certainly. Herbert Anderson wired and asked me to live here. Holy
12: smoke, so he is
14: a dog. I... I beg your pardon? Hmm? I, uh, excuse me a minute. I'll
12: be right back. Have a seat. Mildred, Mildred, my advice. She's out there. The woman. Your father sent for her. Oh, I tell you, there's no fool like an old fool when he listens to a young fool.
7: Dennis, are you serious?
12: She's here, Mildred. ready to take up residence with two suitcases. Mm-hmm. Probably full of seductive black lace red flannels to wear to breakfast. <laughs>
11: Dennis, we've got to get rid of her before Mother gets back. It's our only chance. Tell her something, anything, to get her out of here.
12: Okay, I'll try. Uh, sorry to have kept you waiting, ma'am.
14: Oh, that's all right. Well, I'm rather tired. Do you happen to know where I'll be staying here? Uh,
12: no, it's kind of hard to tell. The last one he invited is under the rose bush. There's two under the garage floor, and a couple of them he just ran through the mixmaster.
7: Uh,
14: what? What did you say?
12: Oh, didn't you know about Mr. Anderson's hobby?
14: Why, no. No. What hobby?
12: Oh, he's sort of an amateur butcher. Not the kind that cuts up steers or chickens. He kind of specializes.
14: Specializes?
12: Yeah, only people. May I take your coat, please?
14: Oh, young man, are you crazy? You know what you're saying.
12: Don't believe me, huh? Didn't you notice the front lawn as you came in? What about it? You don't think grass ever got that green from Vigoro, do you?
14: (laughs) May I take your coat? No, you you must be mad. Why, Clara wouldn't... She couldn't marry a man who. Who do you think helps him with his work?
12: Clara Anderson? Better known in undertaking circles as Croakum Good Clara, the Cleaver Kid. No. Yep, she cuts them and he grades them.
14: Now I know you're crazy. And if you think I'd stay in this house another instant with a madman. Well, no,
12: sorry to see you go, lady, but if that's the way you.
14: Dennis, why have you got all the lights burnt? Aunt Prudy! Huh? Darling, you're here. Don't you come near me, Clara Anderson. Now that I see you in a strong light, this boy could be telling the truth. What? Why, Aunt Prunella, you. Uh... You keep away from me, too, you. You croaker, you?
10: Me? I'm in the furniture business. I
14: won't stay in this house one single second. I might have known you'd turn out this way, Clara Anderson. Aunt Prunella! As a I... child, you used to pour ink into the goldfish bowl so the poor things couldn't see where they were swimming. I'm getting out of here before I wind up a pot roast.
7: Goodbye. You
12: know, Mrs. Anderson, it's possible I made some sort of a slight mistake. You. Mm-hmm. I might have known. What did you do? Come on, tell me. What did you do? Gosh, I didn't know she was your aunt, Mrs. Anderson. I just wanted to save your marriage because I'm Abigail Allen, and I saw the letter Mr. Anderson wrote, and I thought Wait that a she... second. Did you say the letter I wrote? Sure. Aren't you bewildered?
10: That's putting it mildly. I don't know whether I'm... <laughs>
12: Well, I know what this one is doing. He's going. Now, wait, Mrs. Anderson. We can call her back and straighten the whole thing out. I told her there were bodies under the front lawn. Tomorrow she can dig up the lawn for herself, and naturally she won't find any bodies there.
6: Oh, she won't, (laughs) All
12: right, so one puny little body...
8: With George Dooning in the orchestra, here's Dennis to sing the lovely ballad Until. Another Dennis Day Show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. Again next week to Colgate's Hour of Fun, Judy Canova, followed by Dennis Day. And for another great comedy program, hear Blondie next Wednesday evening over your favorite NBC station. This is Byrne Smith speaking. tonight
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Bold Venture, followed by Abbott and Costello. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support.